so here's the story. My parents took my brothers and me to the annual Christmas parade on a very, very cold December night, about 1970. And because we'd had lots and lots and lots of snow, the city streets had been plowed, and so the snow was piled up. And it made parking very difficult on this very popular night. But my dad pulled down a side street, and we noticed this rather large group of people pushing a car out of a space in which it was stuck. You see, the the driver of the car had traversed that mound of snow and plopped down into the parking space and gotten stuck there. And so tires were spinning and dirty snow was flying in the air and and all over the people that were pushing the car out. But at long last, the car was free. And so was the only parking space in town. And so from my spot in the middle of the back seat, I could see my father's eyes in the rearview mirror. And I saw that look in his eyes and I thought to myself, Dad, don't do it. But in spite of the clear evidence before him that he should not do so, the convenience of that parking spot was too alluring. So my dad slowly shifted our 1965 Dodge Dart wagon into first gear, let out the clutch, traversed that mound of snow, and slid our car down into that parking space, and it came to rest against the sidewalk. Now, what did my dad believe in that moment? Clearly, he believed, it won't happen to me. But of course, it did. And I don't think it seemed the right thing to have done later when my dad saw his family shivering on the sidewalk. The stores were all closed. The crowds had dispersed, and my dad went in search of someone to help push our car out of the spot. I thought it was a futile search. I was fully confident that they would find our rigid, frozen bodies (laughs) on the sidewalk the next morning. It reminds me of Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12. There is a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way to death. Clearly, I did not die. Like it or not, I stand before you this morning. We eventually got out of the spot, and it is a silly story, but you know what? It eases us into this reality in all of our lives. Like my dad, we offer ourselves excuses, justifications to do what we want to do, what's convenient to do, what pleases us to do. We opt for the easy way, the level way, the smooth way even though the clear evidence before us tells us that we ought not, even though the Word of God tells us that we must not and that we should not. And as a result of so often taking that way, you and I must live in a perpetual state of repentance daily. We need to turn from the way that seems right to us. We need to turn from the way that the world says is right for us and turn to Christ. That's repentance. And you and I, every day, must be repentant people. 
bear the fruit of repentance in our lives. Well, that's what we're going to talk about this morning as we come to John chapter 15 and Matthew chapter 3. So if you've found your place uh, in those Gospels, I'm going to ask you to stand. As we hear read together the word of the living God, John chapter 15, beginning in verse 5, Jesus is speaking. I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. And now Matthew chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this, for this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him. And they were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee the wrath to come, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your word preserving it for us. We pray now, Father, through the Spirit of God, your Spirit that indwells your people, you would open your word to us. Lord, bless this place because your word has been read and heard. Give us understanding, give us growth, bring transformation to our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. Well, so far in our week's long study of John 15, the truths that should transform our lives are these. The first is that bearing fruit is not an option for those who love the Lord Jesus Christ, for those who have been called by him, for those who have been transferred delivered out of the kingdom of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son. If that's you, if the Lord has done that good work in your life, you must bear fruit. Secondly, we began to define what that fruit is so that we would know what it is for which we should look in our lives. And the first fruit that we defined is the fruit of the Spirit. If you are here this morning and you are a follower of Christ, you must be a loving person. You must be a joyful person. You must be a peaceful and patient person. You must be kind and good. You must be gentle and faithful and self-controlled. 
Not just one or two of those things, but all of them. The second fruit, at which we looked last week, is the the fruit of knowing Christ by God's design of us and by His grace to us and through the means of grace, particularly those we experience here every Sunday morning, the Word of God, prayer, the sacraments of the Lord's Supper and baptism, through these we come into an intimate relationship, an intimate knowledge of Christ. Ours is not to be a light, casual relationship with Him. Every day that the Lord gives us life to live is a day where you and I should know Christ more and more. This morning, we had a third kind of fruit that we must bear, That is the fruit of repentance. As you heard in Matthew 3, John, the cousin of Jesus, the one that the prophet Isaiah prophesied would be a forerunner, a messenger, a voice in the wilderness to prepare the way of Jesus, preached, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Not just the fruit that comes from repentance. Lord willing, we'll talk about that fruit next week. The fruit that comes from repentance. But this morning, actually looking at the fruit of repenting. Because we are often prone, you and I, or I'll speak for myself. We're prone to forget our need to repent every day. And so before I remind us once again of of the definition of repentance, we first need to see the first place, the primary place that repentance should hold in our lives. In his gospel, this message of repentance that John preaches is the first thing, the first thing that Matthew records after telling the story Of Jesus' birth. Now, listen, this is by God's design. This is what God wants us to know about salvation order. Jesus first, always Jesus first, then repentance. Likewise, in his gospel, Luke in chapters one and two tell the familiar story of the birth of Jesus, and then he tells us that brief story about the 12 year old Jesus in the temple. And then immediately, In chapter 3, Luke writes, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness, and he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus, then repentance. Mark skips a a birth narrative altogether, and he gets right to repentance. Mark chapter 1. Verse 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus first, then repentance. Then we move on to Jesus. Where did he begin in his preaching? 
What did he put first? Listen to this. Matthew chapter 4. Now when he heard that John had been arrested, he went and lived by Capernaum by the sea. And from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, guess what? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The very first word that Jesus spoke, as far as we know in Scripture, the first word that he spoke in his public ministry was repent. Mark affirms the same thing. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the kingdom of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. And then if I might fast forward to the very end of Jesus' time on earth. These are the last recorded words of Jesus when he appears to his disciples one final time before he ascends to be with his Father in heaven. Luke chapter 24. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer, and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. You are witnesses of these things. Jesus begins his public ministry, preaching repentance. Jesus ends his earthly ministry, talking about repentance and sending his disciples into the world to proclaim repentance. That's how vitally important it is. Repentance holds its place of prominence, of position in Scripture, in the preaching of John. In the preaching of Jesus, and if I might add, also in the preaching of the, the apostles. Peter had the privilege of preaching the first ever sermon of the gospel of a resurrected Jesus. And his audience was cut to the heart when he preached. And they said, what must we do? And Peter's response was, guess what? Repent. Repentance must hold a primary place in our lives. The fruit of repentance must always be in full bloom. So now having looked at the position it must hold in our lives, let's consider now the definition of repentance. Repentance is very simple to define, and it means simply this, to turn around. To repent means to turn around. It's defined that way. Because every human being who is alive now, every human being who has ever lived, either was or is currently headed in one direction. And it's the direction we already talked about earlier from Proverbs. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is death. You were on that way. I was on that way, but God, right? The Spirit of God opened our eyes to see and our hearts to feel and our minds to understand our need for Christ. And when He showed us that, in that moment, we turned around from the way we were headed and we turned toward Christ. We stopped walking on that path and we started walking toward Christ 
and the life we have in him. That turning around is repentance. And listen, because you and I live in a fallen world, the siren voices of sin are always going to be calling to us. Always. Come along this path. And I'm telling you this. That path is never going to cease to be alluring to us. That path is always going to be, seem smooth and level and easy and convenient and fun. And that's why repentance has to be a part of our daily lives. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, answer 87, defines repentance like this. Repentance unto life is a saving grace, whereby a sinner, out of a true sense of his sin and apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ, doth with grief and hatred of his sin turn from it unto God with full purpose of and endeavor after new obedience. Grief, hatred of sin, turning to Christ, endeavoring to obey. Grief, hatred of sin, turning to Christ, endeavoring to obey. One more time. Grief, hatred of sin, turning to Christ, endeavoring to obey. That's repentance. We do it. When we come to faith in Christ, that makes repentance a first-time event for us. But it does not make repentance a one-time-only event for us. We must do it every day. One commentator writes this, that repentance is a proclamation of unconditional turning to God, of unconditional turning from all that is against God, Not merely that which is downright evil, but that which in a given case makes total turning to God impossible. What's compelling about this definition for me is that it gives full orb to this idea of repentance. The definition highlights that there is evil in the world, evil to which we are drawn. We must turn from it. But the definition also lets us know that there are things in your life and there are things in my life that we would never describe as evil. We would never think of those things as evil. But nevertheless, those things prevent us from turning to Christ every day for everything. We turn partially, but not totally to the Lord. We must repent of those things as well. We must turn from those things as well. We must determine why we put them first in the first place. Is it because we believe them to offer more hope than Jesus? Is it because we believe those things to offer more help than Jesus? Is it because we believe they can be depended upon more than Jesus can be? Do they care for us better than Jesus cares for us? The answer is no. No, no, no. So we have to turn from them. It's been said, repentance is not forsaking sin so that you may turn to Christ. It's turning to Christ 
so that you might forsake sin. We read that again. Repentance is not forsaking sin. That you may turn to Christ, it's turning to Christ so that you might forsake sin. And that's the key to repentance. And that's really the attraction that repentance should hold for all of us. Repentance has Christ as its end and as its goal. We are turning to him. We aren't turning away from the way of death in order that we might turn to some life-sapping, hope-draining, assurance-stealing, exhausting set of rules and obligations. When we think that's the goal of repentance, no wonder no one wants to repent. No. Repentance is turning to the Savior who died for us because He loves us. Our brother who stretches out his arms to welcome us. It's turning to our shepherd who picks us up and carries us in his arms. When we repent, we turn to a person. Not to repent is to pull into that snowy, icy parking space. It's so alluring, so appealing, so convenient, so easy, and you believe it won't happen to you. To not repent is to believe that somehow the end of that easy way, that alluring way, that smooth way won't end for you the way that God says it will end. But guess what? It will end that way because God says so. That's why repentance, listen, it's such a beautiful gift of God's grace to us. By repentance, we escape life and find death. When we repent, we don't suffer the consequences of a life not lived by daily turning to Jesus, by not looking to him for all things. When we repent, we do not experience the dysfunction and the disorientation and the disorder that accompanies a life that doesn't turn to Jesus for all things. A life that doesn't allow everything to pass through him. And look, when you and I turn to Jesus, it's not as if he is an indistinct figure far, far away, hazy, that we can barely make out in the distance. No. When you and I turn from this way and turn to Christ, He's right there. He's right in front of us, first in our sight. We can see everything through Him because there He is. So repenting is turning to and looking through. It's turning to and looking through Christ for everything. You know, there's your spouse in front of you. Not my spouse. She's practically perfect in every way. I'm talking about the rest of y'all. And there they are in front of you, and you are ready to say a thing or two to your spouse. That's the way that seems right to you. 
the way that's justified in your own mind. What you are getting ready to serve up to them is nothing less than that which they richly deserve. But when you live a life of repentance, when you turn away from your way and see Jesus standing between you and your spouse, which means you are now looking at your spouse through Jesus and not through your pride and not through your hurt not through your pain, and not through your anger. And repentance, turning to Christ first, and looking through Christ, will produce a very different outcome for you than had you followed your own way. Every situation in life is like this. You turn to Christ because you love Him, and He loves you, And because you loathe your sin and the consequences of it. Puritan Thomas Watson writes, When sin is your burden, Christ will be your delight. When sin is your burden, Christ will be your delight. And so we need to see repentance as a privilege and not as an obligation. We don't have to go on our way to destruction. Jesus calls us to turn to him, and he will in no way turn us away. He welcomes us. Is that good news? Repentance is so beautiful. Every day we can turn from sin. Every day we can turn to Christ. He is never exhausted by our continual coming. Is that good news? His grace to forgive us never runs out. Is that good news? Then let's bear the fruit of repentance every day. Does that sound reasonable? And let me say this. I I don't know everyone here this morning, but there is a first repentance of coming to faith in Christ. And if you've never done that in your life, you've you've heard the good news of the gospel here this morning. Christ loves us. Christ died for us. He died for us on the cross so that we don't have to die, so that we might live forever and ever. And that gift of life can be yours very simply. You just turn from that path that you're on, the path that leads to death, and you turn to Christ. There he is in faith. And repentance. If you've never done that, I want to talk to me more about it. I, I promise you this, I will be available for you after this service. You come and you talk to me about it. The rest of us, let's remember, repentance is not a one-time event. It's an everyday event. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray now that you would make us repentant people, that we would see repentance as the gift from you that it is to us, that we would see the grace of it, that you would allow us to repent, that you desire that we not go the way of death and destruction, but you would have us have life, everlasting life in you. We thank you for that. We pray now that you would make us repentant people so that in our lives we turn to you every day in all things in every way, that, that all of our life we see first through you. Do this in us and through us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.